Well, good morning. Great to be here this morning on Easter Sunday, isn't it? What an exciting weekend and a great moment to celebrate in the Christian calendar. In 2002, a 57-year-old man called John Darwin uh, was presumed dead after going missing off the coast in Hartlepool. Some of you might remember this story. Who remembers the story? His canoe was found in pieces the day after he went missing, and the assumption was that he was drowned. Five years later, in 2007, his wife Anne sold the family home in Seton Carew, which is just up the road from Hartlepool, and then moved to Panama, Central America. She originally stated that she thought he was dead and claimed on the life insurance policy in good faith, but since then admitted that she knew her husband was alive and a picture was discovered showing the couple in Panama in 2006, three whole years after he was dead, uh, supposedly, supposedly dead. At the end of 2007, John Darwin walked into a London police station and told the officers, I think I am a missing person. He claimed he could remember nothing since the year 2000. Well, Mr. Darwin's uh, disappearance was a charade concocted by the couple. Uh, Their sons genuinely thought he was dead, but for much of that time he was living in a secret room within the house in Seton Carew uh, before he went over to Panama. And this picture was taken in Panama uh, with an estate agent uh, because they were looking to buy an apartment. And uh, that was a mistake uh, because the picture got out and then he had to work out how he was going to explain all of this away. And so they attempted to con their family. They attempted to con their friends and the authorities. And of course, they were eventually exposed And they each got about six years uh, in prison for fraud in about 2008. And their sons, understandably, disowned them. Most people who disappear do not want to be found again. People like John Darwin uh, are trying to disappear to find a new life, to claim an insurance policy. Uh, Somebody like Lord Lucan, who allegedly killed the family nanny, murdered the family nanny, disappeared without trace many years ago. Most people that disappear don't want to reappear. But we have a story today about a resurrection, a disappearance, but then a reappearance. And Jesus' resurrection was a reappearance like no other reappearance, and it was always part of the plan. We're going to read Mark's account of this remarkable disappearance and reappearance, and it's taken from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. And the words will come up on the screen there. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. 
There you'll see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who had been mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Well, this was a disappearance trick like no other. If you think about it, if you're planning to disappear, you don't generally go public with your plans before you do it. You don't announce it on Facebook or put an advert in the Times to say, on such and such a date, I'm going to disappear, and by the way, I'm going to reappear three days later. The Bible scholar Wilbur Smith said this, he said, when he said that he himself would rise again from the dead the third day after he was crucified, he said something that only a fool would dare to say, unless he was sure he was going to rise. No founder of any world religion known to men ever dared say such a thing like that. So Jesus' disappearance and his reappearance were heavily advertised in advance. In Matthew 16, he says this, uh, it says there, From this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Matthew 17, 23, They will kill him and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Matthew 20, 18 and 19, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. There was absolutely no doubt that Jesus had flagged this up with the disciples. They had registered what he was saying because they were filled with grief. And yet when it happens, they just don't believe it. As we've read there in the the Gospel of Mark, they didn't believe any of the accounts of his resurrection. So he predicts that he's going to rise from the dead on the third day. It's a pretty impressive trick to come back to life. But the disciples didn't really take it seriously. They didn't believe it. The amazing thing was that the religious authorities did take it seriously. It was their worst fear that this body of of this broken and and dead saviour would come back to life. They remembered that he talked about that. And so they made arrangements for it to be sealed up and for a guard to be put on the tomb. That was their worst nightmare for this kind of deception to, to carry on. And Jesus didn't just appear to a small group of people, a few misguided believers. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to over 500 people all at the same time. So back to the story. We have a young man dressed in white 
slightly mysterious character offering the women this explanation. He is not here, he is risen. So if we're sceptical today about Jesus rising from the dead, it's uh, reasonably understandable 2,000 years later. uh, And it's understandable because his own disciples were not too sure about the story either. So why should we believe this story? If Jesus isn't in the tomb, where is he? The man in in the tomb says he's not here, he has risen. That was his explanation. But if that isn't true, what are the alternatives? Well, I think there might be at least five options. First of all, maybe his resurrection appearances were actually visions. Secondly, maybe he wasn't actually dead. Thirdly, perhaps the women went to the wrong tomb. Fourthly, perhaps the disciples stole the body and hid the body. Or fifth, perhaps the authorities took it away. Let's look at those things briefly in turn. First of all, his resurrection appearances were visions. This is a popular idea which has been put out there quite a bit in recent years. The idea that the disciples saw not a a physical resurrected Jesus, but some kind of vision, some kind of uh, hallucination. It's an appealing idea. It seems more believable than the idea of an actual physical resurrection. It doesn't trample all over people's faith. It retains some mystery about the resurrection. Michael Green wrote, Hallucinations tend to be allied with wish fulfilment. None of that here. As we've just read, the disciples really weren't expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. He says, Hallucinations tend to happen to particular types of people. No one type here. Hallucinations tend to recur. These appearances ended after 40 days and never came again. So were they seeing visions? Well, no, they weren't, because it wasn't just a shimmering image of Jesus that people were seeing. This was somebody that engaged in conversation, who spoke to individuals, who spoke to groups of people, who uh, expounded the scriptures to believers as he walked along a road to Emmaus. More than that, he was physically present during these appearances in the sense that he hugged Mary. Uh, He he invited Thomas to put his his hands and his fingers in the the nail prints and the wounds in his body. He, He ate fish with his disciples. He was physically present in these appearances. And if he was a vision, you've still got the question of what actually happened to his body. What about the idea that he wasn't actually dead? The so-called swoon theory. I remember learning about this at school when I was doing O-level RE, which I, uh, I didn't pass, by the way, but I, I, did, it, I did it again and passed, so that was, it got there in the end. It's great, isn't it, when the pastors can't even pass O-level RE. I, I've, I've done other exams since. I've done all right in the... But, uh, but the swoon theory. I, you know... I, this is such a lame theory, I can't believe it when thinking about it now. Uh, you know, the idea that somebody who has been flogged uh, and put on a cross and then put in a tomb and then somehow recovers after the, on the third day and has enough strength to move that stone is just laughable as a theory. M- many of the people, the prisoners that got flogged, didn't survive the flogging, yet alone the crucifixion. And these soldiers that did these crucifixions, they were doing them every day. They knew what dead was. That was their profession. They killed people. They, they, were, they were professional killers. They knew about it. And uh, when they pulled him off the cross, he was as dead as dead. 
and then they put him into a tomb which is airless for two or three days and the, the tomb is sealed up and there's a guard on it. And the women, when they come to this, this tomb, they're, they're looking at this stone and there's three of them saying, who's going to move this stone for us? They didn't feel that they were going to be strong enough to get this stone out of the way. So how somebody that was virtually dead manages to recover and push this stone out of the way is, is, is unbelievable uh, as a theory. Thirdly, the woman went to the wrong tomb. Well, that's another possibility, you read, but we read at the end of uh, Mark 15, verse 47, it says there, Mary Magdalene and the Mary, um, Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was late. So they saw where the tomb was. Now, you might argue, well, they were so grief-stricken, they kind of got it wrong, they went back to the wrong tomb, but the tomb belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, and he was a friend of the disciples, and it would have been easy to check it out. If they went to the wrong tomb, they could have said, well, we went there, there was nobody there. They could have checked it out and made sure it was the right tomb they were looking at. So that doesn't seem to stand up to scrutiny either. The fourth theory, the disciples stole his body, uh, was in fact the very thing the religious authorities were trying to promote as a story. Because in Matthew 27, 62 to 64, we read that the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day, otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he's been raised from the dead. That, that was what they were afraid of. So they made certain that the disciples couldn't steal his body. They put a guard on the tomb. But let's suppose for a moment that Christ didn't physically rise from the dead and that disciples had stolen the body somehow. It would have meant that millions of people throughout generations have believed in an elaborate hoax. It would have meant that uh, billions of pounds would have been spent in the name of this hoax. It would have meant that billions of lives have been impacted by this elaborate hoax. It would mean that Jesus' first disciples were actually willing to die for something they knew to be totally false. What kind of contract could affect the course of history so profoundly? What kind of con man would have the intelligence, foresight and selflessness to deliberately create something which wouldn't benefit him materially? What kind of con man would, would create a hoax and then die for it? What kind of contract could be sustained for so many centuries? This week in the Evening Standard, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, wrote these words. He said, The resurrection is the most important event in history. In purely historical terms, after the resurrection, the small group of disciples who either betrayed or abandoned Jesus found new courage in a miraculous way. Over the next 30 or 40 years, they took the news of the risen Jesus all over the Roman Empire and far beyond it to the ends of the earth. Nothing but the reality of a real resurrection could have had that effect on them. They were not especially educated. Neither were they particularly brave. In fact, they were quite the reserve. They were not elite. They were not armed. They converted the Roman Empire in the next few decades and their successors essentially took over the Roman Empire in the following 250 years without drawing a sword. The disciples didn't steal Jesus' body. The other option 
Number five, the authorities took it away. Some have suggested that the authorities removed the body, but then why didn't they produce the body again when the rumours started going around Jerusalem that Jesus had risen from the dead? Again, Matthew squashes this theory in his Gospel, Matthew 28, 11 to 15. But it says, Some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. It's interesting that the scriptures themselves sort of uh, squash all these different possibilities. And that is a very clear statement about the authorities' story and what the sort of story they wanted to push out there. They had no idea where that body was. So none of these explanations stand up as far as I can see. The only other explanation is the one offered by the man in the tomb, the man dressed in white, who said he has risen, he is not here. So if he actually has risen from the dead, where is he now? Where is he at this precise moment? Because he's still alive. Well, Mark 16, 19 tells us, after the Lord Jesus has spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. So it is true to say he is risen, Not just he has risen, but he is risen because he remains alive to this day. Before that young man proclaims that Jesus has risen, he says to the women, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. I wonder how many of us are really looking for Jesus in our lives. Are we convinced that he died on a cross for us? Are we convinced that he is risen? And I want to challenge all of us to re-examine the evidence for the resurrection and to look again at what he has done for us. Because actually, in, in the end, if the resurrection is false, if it's nonsense, then the whole of the Christian faith is nonsense. If the whole of the Christian faith is nonsense, then our history and our heritage is nonsense. It's all been based on a lie. But despite the efforts of highly intelligent sceptics, atheists over many centuries. Nobody's ever yet managed to say, this is not true. Nobody's ever yet managed to amass enough evidence to say, this can't possibly have happened, and this is how it it would have been. There was a man called Frank Morrison some years ago who set out to prove that the resurrection didn't happen. He was a sceptic. And he wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone? I believe he even went to Jerusalem to gather the evidence And in 1930, his book was published. It's still in print today. If you go on Amazon, this is what it says about this book in the blurb underneath it. It says, Convinced that the story wasn't true, Frank Morrison started to write about Jesus' last days. However, as he studied this crucial period, something happened. First published in 1930, this is an in-depth exploration of what happened between the death of Jesus and the resurrection as recorded in the Bible. Using many information sources, this is crammed with vital detail that every Christian should know and is also a powerful tool for persuasion for those questioning Christianity. Writing this book changed Morrison's life 
Will it let it change yours? What a great question on Amazon. Will it let it change yours? Examine the evidence for the resurrection and you'll see that it's true. It's true. If you're genuinely willing to examine it. And of course many people don't want to do that. They don't want to look that hard at this question because if it is true, it really does mean that they're going to have to change their life. They're going to have to take what Jesus has said seriously. They're going to have to follow his teaching. David's already mentioned the Alpha course uh, earlier on, which starts very soon. And uh, the first couple of weeks of the Alpha course looks at who is Jesus and why did he die. Then there's lots of opportunities to ask questions about uh, the resurrection and why did he die and those sorts of questions. It's really worth going to. If you haven't done the Alpha course, I would recommend it. If you haven't read Frank Morrison's book, uh, that's a good place to start. I recommend you read that. But do examine the evidence for the res- resurrection if you dare. Because if it, if it is true, we have to change our lives. We have to uh, change our view on who Jesus is and it will impact us and affect us forever. So the resurrection of Jesus is the bedrock of a Christian faith. If it is false, everything collapses. Everything that Christianity claims collapses. A writer called Lee Strobel said, The resurrection is the supreme vindication of Jesus' claim to deity. If he didn't rise from the dead, he clearly isn't God. What do you think? Has he risen? Is he alive today? Is he truly God?